Good morning, church. Psalm 139, 14 says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Um, something I learned yesterday is that the Hebrew word for praise has the root word to know. So by knowing God and by drawing near to him, praise is something we automatically do. Um, today I want you to stand as we sing our first song, Open the Eyes of My Art, um, as we try to draw nearer to God. How many of you are ready to praise God this morning? How many of you know you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Amen.
standing for prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've been singing of your great love this morning. And we just sang how we all need your compassion and we all desire your unfailing love. And Lord, we come here this morning with expectant hearts 
knowing that you are a faithful God and that you will meet us here, that you are a good father, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. So you, we pray, Lord, that you will rain down your mercy and grace upon us today. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we echo what the psalmist says. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So Lord, we wanna join all creation to worship and praise you with all of our hearts. Lord, we pray that you look down upon your needy people. We pray especially for those who are suffering this morning as a result of the wildfires in Maui, which have been the deadliest wildfires in the US for over a century. Lord, we pray for those who are mourning the death of their loved ones, that you will comfort them and dry their tears. Lord, we pray for those who have lost their homes and are living in shelters. We can't even begin to imagine, God, how traumatic the situation must be for these families. So Lord, we pray that you'll provide a way for these people to, be, uh, to rebuild their lives and be made whole again, Lord. Lord, we want to pray for the people in this congregation and really people everywhere throughout the world. We pray for those who are feeling lost. We pray that you will guide them and lead them to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we pray for those who feel that they have messed up and are somehow unredeemable. Lord, we pray that they would experience your grace and your forgiveness today. We pray for those who are heartbroken. We pray that you would be close to them and wrap them in your comfort. Lord, we pray for those who feel defeated. We pray that they would know that in Christ, they are more than conquerors. And Father, we pray for those who feel weak and discouraged. We pray that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that you, Lord, who are the source of hope, will fill us completely with joy and peace as we trust in you and surrender to you. May we overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to commit the rest of this service to you. We pray that you would anoint Pastor Aaron as he brings us the word and help all of us to have a fresh encounter with you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 21. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and a marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, 
never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he look in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. morning. Well, my name is Matthew Young. I'd like to thank everyone at FBCF for your prayers for my good health. I'd like to tell you about my six-year journey of waiting for a new heart. I was told by doctors six years ago that the rate at which my heart was pumping my blood to my body was very low, 8%. Uh, in healthy people, your body circulates 50% or more of the blood from your heart to their body. The doctors implanted an LVAD, or heart pump, to help my heart pump throughout my body. I'm patiently waiting and praying for a new heart. Uh, the criteria for a new heart is a blood type and weight, so I essentially need to get a heart from a donor who's blood type O and 250 pounds. Last fall, I went to the hospital because I wasn't feeling well, and doctors told me I had a torn aorta, which is very serious, but the doctors were able to repair the tear. 
my doctor called me a few weeks ago and told me I would no longer be on the transplant list because now I was now a high risk for a transplant because of the tear. I was disappointed for a few days, but I understood God has a plan for me. I came to accept this situation. I came to know Christ five years ago and was baptized at First Baptist. I'm very thankful to have come to First Baptist and be able to fellowship with other Christians. Many members of the English and Chinese congregation have constantly come up to me over the years and said they have been praying for me. Pastor Aaron, Pastor Shiwei, and other members of the First Baptist Church regularly came to visit me in the hospital and prayed with me. I know what God has a plan for me, and this support from the pastors and members of the congregation has kept me strong. I would like to thank everyone for their prayers and I lift myself up to God and trust in him. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Matthew. Matthew, we love you. We continue to pray for you. We give thanks for you because a lot of times we, we share testimonies of like livers falling out from heaven and all that and we love that but we also love the story of the faithful one. Uh, even God answers in different ways. Well, First Baptist Church, good to see you. That, that was a little... <laughs> I don't know how to transition from that but let me just jump into the sermon. Now, my brother-in-law um, has this habit where... When he leaves the house, he does this little ritual where he would pat his pants pockets and recite, wallet, keys, phone, wallet, keys, phone. Now, one time, Connie and I saw him doing that. We started laughing. We're like, Ben, what are you doing? And uh, he said, I'm just making sure I have what I need before I leave the house. Now, to his credit, I have never seen my brother-in-law once forget to bring anything. He's one of the most detail-oriented people I know. Now contrast this to uh, about a week ago when I took my kids to the pool. Uh, we get to the pool and one of my kids, my boy says to me, oh dad, I forgot to bring my swimming trunks. <laughs> now some of you know my family and you're like, oh Noah, it wasn't Noah. <laughs> it was not Noah. I was beside myself. I said, can you understand, CJ, why I might be frustrated? How do you forget to bring swimming trunks when you know that the sole purpose of this trip is to go swimming? CJ responds, I don't know. I just wasn't thinking about it. The old adage holds true. If you fail to plan, you should plan to fail. Church, I feel so much better after this public shaming. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He gave me permission to tell the story and don't feel bad for him. If you talk to him about it, he will tell you, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> but the point is clear. We can always use a reminder. We can always use a reminder. And that's what we get here in our last chapter in the book of Hebrews. Having thoroughly established how Jesus is better in every single way, the writer now gives us practical reminders, instructions of how to live trusting in the supremacy of Christ in every facet of life. Now what the writer is going to do is he's going to rattle off this series of reminders of ways we can live a life of power. The point is that troubles, circumstances, and difficulties do not have to master us. Rather, we can master them. 
by drawing on Christ's power, by displaying to the world that Jesus indeed is better. Now, to peel back the curtain a little bit, at the start of the week, I was going back and forth on whether to just pick one command, center the sermon on that, because it's always easier to drill down on one central idea. And I have no doubt that we could have spent our time profitably just uh, on, on practicing hospitality or on our use of money or on, on prayer, what have you. But as I spent time in the text, it became clear to me that, that the power of this passage is in the way that the writer of Hebrews lists out one area after another in which we are to show the supremacy of Christ in every area of life. It's, it's kind of like standing under a waterfall and letting the words of scripture wash over you. Because if you remember how uh, the book of Hebrews is written, it's written as a sermon to be read in one sitting. And so what we have here is the application. You'll notice in the notes section of uh, the bulletin that it's blank. It's not uh, because I got lazy or not primarily because I got lazy. Rather, there are so many reminders here that it would fill up the entire page, leaving no room for notes. So there's no expectation here today that, that you're going to remember every single one of them. As a matter of fact, I don't even think after I preach it, I'm going to re remember every single one of these points. But as the scriptures wash over you, and as you feast on his grace, there will be some instructions that are going to convict you in a special way. Don't ignore that. It, it's likely that the, the spirit of the God is prompting, spurring you on towards growth and maturity. Marvadon once said that we consume so much content in our day that the default after receiving all that information is to do nothing about any of it. She's coined it as a low information action ratio. It forms the acronym LIAR because uh, when we know we ought to do but fail to do it, it makes liars out of us. May that never be so. So today, renew your minds, your hearts as you listen and respond to the Spirit's prompting by acting on certain specific areas of life. Let all of this encourage you to live a life uh, of power that transcends your present circumstances, your troubles, whatever you're facing. But let your trust in the finished work of Jesus be enough so that in the various areas of life, you would experience intimacy. You would experience joy, power, and strength to do his work. So let's pray now, and then after that, we'll, we'll jump into the reminders. Would you all bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we invite you to speak to us now as you remind us of the areas of life where we can show the goodness, the supremacy of Jesus in our lives. Teach us not to be mere listeners of the word, but doers of the word. Enable us to respond with joyful, actionable obedience. For Jesus' sake, amen. So number one, reminder number one, treat one another like family. Treat one another like family. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Verse one, the great Puritan writer John Owen once said, let none pretend that they love the brethren in general and love the people of God and love the saints while their love is not fervently exercised towards those who are in the same church society with them. Christ will try your love at the last day by your deportment in that church wherein you are. 
So in Hebrews 13.1 and John Owen's words, they're both saying one and the same thing. The way that we're to love one another is not primarily through warm, fuzzy feelings or this state of mind that says, I love this church. This church is so special. The chief way, rather, that we're to keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters is by treating each other like we're family. It's by treating each other like we're family. Our world loves to use family as its convenient way to, to leverage our relational closeness for their own gain. It's definitely a red flag when a company says that we're like a family and then uses it to kind of excuse, uh, uh, as an excuse to demand more commitment, uh, more hours without appropriate compensation. That's abuse of the word family. That's a reason why we pull back from the term. But if we really believe what the Bible says, that we're a spiritual family with God the Father as our Heavenly Father, with God the Son as our elder brother, the true elder brother, then it transforms the nature of our relationships as well. It changes the way we relate to one another. We don't look on at, at people sitting uh, next to us as seatmates, like strangers sitting on a plane, but rather we believe that these folks really are part of our spiritual family. The early church lived that out. They shared freely with one another, not keeping a mental note of how much they have uh, given in relation to how much they have received, because that's not how a family works. Family members in a good and healthy family think in terms of doing what will be in the best interest of the family as a whole and what's in the best interest of the individual members that make up the family. Now for us, as individuals that make up the church, I'd like to offer two ways we can apply this in our own lives. One is to simply lean into what is already true of us spiritually. Treat one another like family. Some of us believe this, but we're not sure quite sure how to navigate this. We don't want to come off as too eager for fear that it would not be welcome. And to that I say, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Sure, there are going to be fits and starts. There are going to be awkward moments. But have you noticed that when you're around a family that's whole, a family that's loving, then no one ever needs to feel like they're on or, or that they, they have to be self-conscious. When we say the wrong thing or we commit a faux pas, there's gentle correction. But then we move on. We shrug it off. That's what families do. Second, family members don't worry that we're bothering our family. Family members don't worry that we're bothering our family. I'm always bothering my wife, Connie, and she's always like, ah, stop bothering me. And I'm like, no, I can't. I have to. You're family. <laughs> All right, who else am I going to bother? It's you. I chose you. You chose me. You're stuck. We're family. And that's what family is for, to lean on, to depend on. Sometimes I feel like uh, uh, members of the church have needs, but we hesitate to say anything because we don't want to be a burden. I love you. I appreciate your overly strong sense of boundaries. But respectfully, again, I say, that's nonsense. That's not what family does. If you don't tell us, you don't give us an opportunity to come alongside you. Your reluctance to let us into your life actually is short-circuiting God's plan to let us be the church to you. We won't be able to solve every single problem. That's a fact. You know that. But we will be there to help you carry your load. That's what we're supposed to do. 
So number one, treat one another like family. Number two, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Verse two, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, when we think of hospitality, our minds can instinctively think of a fancy party with crumpets and cups of tea where your pinky automatically sticks out, assumes this position. Biblical hospitality doesn't require a gracious, impeccably fashioned host welcoming guests into their beautifully appointed home prepared with perfectly presented meals. It's also not about uh, having a bubbly, effervescent personality where you're this life of the party. You don't need, even need to be extroverted. You just need to love people the way God loves people. Joshua Jip tells us in his book, Saved by Grace and Hospitality, one of my absolute favorite books, what biblical hospitality is. He says, hospitality is the act or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of guests. Let me say that again. Hospitality is the act or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of guests. While hospitality often uses the basic necessity of necessities of life as such as the protection of one's home and offer of food, drink, conversation, and clothing, the primary impulse of hospitality is to create a safe and welcoming place where a stranger can be converted into a friend. Now, hospitality, in essence, is about blessing. It's about welcoming the stranger. Sometimes we hesitate in practicing hospitality, welcoming the stranger. We pull back, not because we're not generous, but because we're afraid that we would be taken advantage of. Now, no one wants that. But when we look at the life of Jesus again, what we consistently see is that his posture was always to bless. His posture is always to give, always to pour himself out for the sake of the many. And that's what made the early church so ridiculously attractive. Because the early church didn't have self-preservation as its chief goal and end, but the pouring out of blessing after blessing, the commitment to turn this stranger into a friend and the friend into a, a family member. And it was this that enabled the message of Jesus in the early church to spread like wildfire. Because what we saw there is the sacrificial message of Jesus, the truthfulness of the gospel confirmed and validated in the sacrificial lifestyle of the believers. They carried the fragrance of Jesus in the way that they practiced hospitality, in the way that they included the stranger, so that in the end, Christ's sacrificial love won over the known world. Now, what would, what would it look like if we believe this message in the same way. If we opened up our homes, made space in our lives, if we poured ourselves out to bless a world that curses us, we wouldn't see a world taking advantage of Christians. Rather, the primary thing we would see is a world transformed by the sacrificial love of Christ. So practice hospitality. Number three, remember the persecuted church. Remember the persecuted church. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. For the original members, uh, remembering those in prison most certainly meant not turning a blind eye uh, to fellow believers who have been arrested as a result of their faith in Christ. It's not hard to understand that when the writer of Hebrews encouraged them to remember the persecuted believers, it meant associated 
associating with them. Associating with them carried a risk. The risk was that they also would be identified as Christians. It carried risk, but as the writer tells them, they, he says, put yourself in their shoes. If you were arrested, wouldn't you want to be remembered? Statistically speaking, it's no exaggeration when it is pointed out that in the past 100 years, Christians have experienced more persecution than all the other centuries combined. Let me say that again. In the past 100 years, past century, Christians have experienced more persecution than all the other centuries put together. According to Open Doors as we speak, more than 360 million Christians face high levels of persecution, discrimination for their faith. This number represents one in seven Christians worldwide, one in five in Africa, two in five in Asia, one in 15 in Latin America. Remember the persecuted church. Pray for safety, for strength, for courage for our brothers and sisters in areas of persecution. Remember, by educating yourself through organizations like Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors, Global Christian Relief, stand in solidarity with fellow Christians as you remember them. Number four, shatter the idols of sex and money. Shatter the idols of sex and money. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Now, we'll make brief mention of these two areas of practical living together, not because they're unimportant, but because they're, uh, there's a close link that we see here. The writer of Hebrews uh, mentions sex and money in the same breath, and as he does so, he recognizes the power of each in becoming an idol, that when they do not their play, take their uh, rightful place as uh, tools or, or, or gifts from God, they become God itself. And in our culture, uh, we have it completely backwards when it comes to sex and money. The late Tim Keller has one of the best lines I've ever heard regarding this. He says, for us today, sex is just a means to an end. It's not a holy, sacred thing that, so that you do it with whomever. But money is very, very sacred, so you don't share it with anybody. Christians are the opposite because in Christianity, sex is seen as a holy thing in itself. Something you don't share with anybody but your spouse. But money is not seen as that big of a deal. You share it with whomever. Christians are promiscuous with their money, not with their bodies. This has been the case since the early church when Christians lived counterculturally in a world that's a lot like ours that made sex and money their gods. But each are put in their rightful place. And when that happens, sex becomes a gift that fosters marital intimacy. Money becomes a gift as we use money to win people rather than using people to win money. Number five, learn the secret of contentment. Learn the secret of contentment and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The writer now gives the antidote to greed and lust, and that is the secret of contentment in the Lord. Now embedded in the words of God, um, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There are five negatives there in, in the original language. 
Now, in English, double negatives have this way of canceling each other out, like, kind of like when people say, he's not wrong, as another way of saying, he's right. But in Greek, laying on negatives have this compounding effect so that you can hear emphatically that you can be content. You can rest in God's providential care. Why? Because never, never will I leave you. Never, no, never will I forsake you. It's the Bible's way of reminding us that God is faithful. We can be content in what he provides because what he gives us is for our good. And even what he withhold, what he withhold, what he withholds is ultimately, I don't know why that word was so hard. <laughs> what he doesn't give us is ultimately for our good as well. Marshall Shelley, uh, editor of Leadership Journal, once talked about a conversation he had with his father-in-law. Now his father-in-law is a Kansas farmer. He spent his life raising wheat, corn, milo, I don't even know what milo is, beef, and along the way there were some sheep and chickens. And then one, one morning they talked about uh, the differences between being a city slicker, living in the city, and the rural lifestyle. And his father-in-law said, most city folks I know expect each year to be better than the last. They think it's normal to get an annual raise to earn more this year than you did last year. As a farmer, I have good years and I have bad years. It all depends on rain at the right time, dry days for harvest, no damaging storms. Some years we have more, some years we have less. Now, for Marshall, it was one of those indelible moments of stunning clarity. He said that the law of the harvest, some years being fat and others being lean, applies to much more than agriculture. Growing in spiritual maturity requires gratefully accepting those seasons of more and the seasons of less that God weaves into the specific areas of our lives, our friendships, our marriage, our career, our finances, ministry, spiritual growth. Likewise, we would do well to learn the secret of contentment. Number six, trust that the Lord is your helper. Trust that the Lord is your helper. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, when I hear that question, what can man do to me? I can't help but think, what can man do to me? Well, kind of a lot, right? right? He can hurt me. He can talk bad about me. He can accuse me. He can get others to shun me. He can plant false evidence, get me arrested. I mean, the possibilities really are endless. And all of that is true. And, and we would have real reason for concern, reason to despair. But only, only if the first half of the verse were not true. Only if the Lord were not my helper. Too often, we live as if we have to figure out this thing called life all alone. Even years after we've been believers, we can fall into this trap of believing that it all depends on us, when in fact, the reality is the maker of heaven and earth, he's our helper, he has our back. Now we all get discouraged, we all face uh, great disappointment, we all have times of fear and that's okay, we can feel that. But what this text is saying here is, don't stay there. You don't want to live there. In those times, 
we got to remember, God is our helper. Those are the times we turn to the Lord. And if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? When we have God, we have everything. And when we don't have God, nothing else matters. So therefore, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to fear. Trust that the Lord is your helper. Number seven, imitate those who finish well. Imitate those who finish well. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, role models can show us how it can be done. The apostle uh, Paul once said, follow me as I follow Christ. The point is to see the way that Christian leaders have run and finished the race well so that it can become a playbook for us as well as we run our race. Now, we'll see the way they love Jesus, and we learn to do the same. We uh, emulate their character, their patience in frustrating situations, their, their courage under fire, their grace in the face of opposition, so that in seeing it model and seeing it done, we not only know that it can be done, we actually see how it can be done and how we can do it ourselves. Now, in a day and age when so many leaders have not finished well, I give thanks for the life of Tim Keller, godly pastor who spoke so truthfully, so graciously about the reasonableness of the Christian faith, that even people who didn't agree with him, atheists, opponents, admired his character, even when they could not be more opposed to his viewpoints. He showed us how to critique our culture without vilifying the opposition. He certainly was not perfect. Uh, in his biography, he openly admits how he didn't spend enough time building into a staff at Redeemer. But here was a person who lived and finished well. When he was diagnosed with cancer, he wrote, I have stage four pancreatic cancer. But it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know. And therein is my hope and strength. Even down to his final breath, he lived to praise the Lord. Here's one who's worthy of imitating. For you, who might be someone whose way of life is worth imitating? Imitate those who finish well. Number eight. Put your faith in the unchanging nature of Christ. Put your faith in the unchanging nature of Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you can put your faith in him knowing that he has been faithful in, in uh, knowing that he has been faithful in the past, and, and that's how he's going to continue to be in the future. There's a guy named Nick Vujicic. I think I showed his picture a little early before. There we go. He was born with this rare genetic uh, disorder that left him with no arms or legs. Now, growing up, Nick uh, struggled emotionally, physically. It was hard to accept his condition. But today, as a follower of Jesus, Nick has what he calls a ridiculously good life. He writes, when I'm asked how I can claim a ridiculously good life when I have no arms or legs, people assume I'm suffering from what I lack. They inspect my body and wonder how I could possibly give my life to God who allowed me to be born without limbs. Others have attempted to soothe me by saying that God has all the answers, that when I'm in heaven, I will find out his intentions. Instead, though, 
I choose to live by what the Bible says, which is that God is the answer today, yesterday, and always. Jesus is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. When people read about my life or witness uh, me living it, they're prone to congratulate me for being victorious over my disabilities. I tell them that my victory came in surrender. It comes every day when I acknowledge that I can't do this on my own. So I say to God, I give it to you. Once yielded, the Lord took my pain and turned it into something good. He gave my life meaning when no one else and nothing else could provide it. And if God can take someone like me, someone without arms and legs, and use me as his hands and feet. Did you get that? He can use anybody. It's not about ability. The only thing God needs from you is a willing heart. Put your faith in the reality that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number nine, don't follow strange teachings. Don't follow strange teachings. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, there are a lot of teachings that claim to be Christian, but in fact are nothing more than false teaching. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. They may sound like they're preaching Christ because they mention the name of Jesus, but in reality, they're preaching lies under the banner of Christ. People run towards these false prophecies, these strange teachings, because the message is always a rosy picture of how your best life is going to look so good, and how your best life is now, how, how it's all smooth sailing ahead, and it gives people what their itching ears want to hear. Have nothing to do with that. Trust only in the gospel that has Christ as the only way of salvation, forgiveness for sinners who believe in him. When Jesus calls a person, it's not to accept him as your personal assistant. It's not to call. It's not a call to your best life now. In the words of Bonhoeffer, who died standing up to the Nazi regime, when Christ bids a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus' road to glory came by way of the cross, and ours is the same. Don't follow strange teachings. Number 10, do follow your leaders. Do follow your leaders. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, churches struggle typically for uh, one or both uh, reasons, for one of two reasons. One, they may struggle because of the lack of a good and godly leadership team. Or two, they struggle because of a lack of support for their leaders. And these are not mutually exclusive. On one hand, sometimes a leader is inexperienced and, and poorly equipped and not adequately able to handle the complex challenges of ministry. And on the other hand, more often than not, uh, people who make up the church will find it a lot easier to criticize, to point out the flaws and what they see as failures and failings of the pastor and the leaders rather than to come alongside and to stand shoulder to shoulder to help the leader through it. This becomes this vicious cycle that quickly spirals out of control where failure meets criticism. Now, if a congregation sows support, encouragement, and commitment to a leader, they reap life for the congregation. 
But what about congregation souls, division, gossip, and ridicule? What's left to reap but death? We live in a time when the great resignation has especially impacted pastors and Christian workers. Now, to find out the reasons behind it, uh, the Barna Group conducted this study in 2022. They found that 42% of pastors have given real serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry within the past year. 56% of those who considered quitting said one reason of, the, uh, of this is because of the immense stress of the job. 43% said it was because they felt lonely and isolated. 38% said it's because of the current political divisions. 29% that it was affecting their families negatively. Now, now they, they, they were able to list more than one because I know some of you are like, this is more than 100%, right? They, they listed all that actually uh, related and, and were appropriate to them. Now more than ever, though, the words of Hebrews ring true. Leaders certainly are to conduct themselves as ministers of the gospel worthy of the calling they have received. But likewise, the people who make up the congregation are to have confidence in their leaders, to submit to their authority. They're to do their part in making the work of gospel ministry a joy, not a burden, because when leaders are thriving, everybody is thriving. We all, certainly, I'll give an account. The leaders will give an account. But all of us, will actually give an account for our actions. Now, I gotta say, I gotta brag on First Baptist Church right now. I say it all the time to my friends, so much so they don't wanna hear it. But I'm not bragging about me, I'm bragging about God. I'm bragging about what God has been doing here. First Baptist Church of Flushing has some of the most godly, loving, and, and upright leaders in our staff, our, our deacons, and, and our trustee boards. This is a church where we dot our I's and we cross our T's. We never cut corners. You know this. And this is one of the warmest congregations that I've ever been a part of. I have felt so supported, so loved, that serving here has felt like I'm getting paid to eat ice cream. <laughs> it happens in the ways you speak of your pastors, the, your leaders behind the scenes. You can always tell how people speak because of the ways your kids look at us, right? When people talk smack, it's the children that give the side eye because children haven't learned uh, uh, to hide their emotions. But when I see them week in, week out, what I see is nothing but love. I love it when children come hugging me for no reason. I'm like, oh, this was nice. <laughs> Your words of affirmation and your words of encouragement have bolstered us. In the words of Mark Twain, I can live two months on a good compliment. And the little things you have done for us, your leaders, have been so appreciated. I remember that uh, I mentioned this love for coffee in a sermon some time back. And since that time, you have showered my family with so much coffee, it is coming out of my nostrils. Jamaican Blue Mountain Geisha coffee from Central America, small batch rose from places I can't even pronounce. The coffee is sweet, but the sentiment is even sweeter. Thank you for being so easy to lead. Thank you for being such a wonderful congregation. But what I have found, the, the best way that you have supported your leaders is through your prayer. 
It was uh, Meryl C. Tenney who said, if a church wants a better pastor, it can get one by praying for the one it has. This leads us to our final reminder. Pray for one another. Pray for us. We are sure that we have we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Peter Kraft notes, some say that prayer in the spiritual life or the inner life of the soul's a private love affair with God is an unaffordable luxury today or an irresponsible withdrawal from the pressing public problems of our poor, hurting the world, hurting world. I say just the opposite that nothing, nothing is more relevant and responsible, that nothing else can ever cure our sick world except saints. And saints are never made except by prayer. Nothing but saints can save our world because the deepest root of all the world's diseases is sin, and saints are the antibodies that fight sin. Nothing but prayer can make saints because nothing but God can make saints, and we meet God in prayer. Prayer is the hospital for souls where we meet Dr. God. Pray for one another because in the process, it's growing you into the likeness of Jesus. Pray for one another because God actually answers prayer. When we work, we work, they always say. But when we pray, God works. Prayer moves mountains. Prayer fills valleys. When we cross into the other side of eternity, each of us is going to wonder why. We fretted so much, prayed so little. Pray and watch God work. So these are the instructions, the reminders on how we are to feast on grace in all the different areas of life. I'm going to rattle them off real quick. Treat one another like family. Practice hospitality. Remember the persecuted church. Shatter the idols of sex and money. Learn the secret of contentment. Trust the Lord is your helper. Imitate those who finish well. Put your faith in the unchanging nature of Christ. Don't follow strange teachings. Do follow your leaders. And finally, pray for one another. As we put this into practice, it will ensure that we keep Jesus at the, at the center and grow into more and more like, his, like Christ the Son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this book of Hebrews, which has again and again rattled off that single point that Jesus is better. We believe this with the whole of our hearts. We also, though, do find that the world to be seductive and, and tempting, reminding us uh, uh, of things that are actually not true and making things that are inconsequential seem very important. We pray that, that we would believe ultimately uh, your vision of what the good life looks like, that it's trusting in Christ and, and, and placing him at the center and then making him supreme over every area of life that we actually do thrive, that we do flourish. So help us. May we respond in faith, not merely listening to the word, but actually doing what it says. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' blood.
seated. Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome you to First Baptist Church. If you're visiting for the first time, if you could please raise your hand and raise your hand high. The ushers have a card they'd like to give you. If you could please complete the card and then bring it with you uh, to the visitor center. And it's right outside these doors. And there's gonna be someone there to greet you. And we have a little gift for you as well. And we hope that you'll find your time here at First Baptist enjoyable uh, at the service. And it's a place where you would feel safe and welcome. And uh, we pray that our church would be a place that everyone would feel welcome. And I, I also want to welcome all of you online. And, uh, and um, I'd like to give an opportunity for you to welcome one another. And I'd like you to find someone you don't know. And, if you, and then also ask, how can I pray for you?
Okay, now uh, for a few announcements. Okay, we will be having Operation Backpack, FBCF, which is a ministry event. Uh, it's devoted to helping underserved children in our communities start off the school year prepared and ready to learn. And you can see there's a green insert in your bulletin. And so you can see uh, the list of items there. So your kindness and generosity can help a child succeed. So bring your backpack full of supplies to church by next Sunday. We're starting another Grief Share support group, which is meeting online. And Grief Share offers help and encouragement after the death of a family member or friend. You are welcome to participate in, in Grief Share at any point during the 13 weeks because each session is self-contained. And this will be starting on September 7, on Thursdays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. If interested, email griefshare at fbcflushing.org or anlee at fbcflushing.org. We will be having our English congregation monthly prayer meeting on Saturday, August 19, from 11 to 12.30 in the College and Career Room. Also, in your bulletin, there's a little blue slip of paper, and that is for um, you to put your car information because our church is creating a master car list. So please complete it about your car and insert um, an email, or you could fill this out and put it in the offering plate, or you can email the information to Carol Liu um, at carolliu at fbcflushing.org. Bible Study Fellowship Women's Group starts on September 26. If you're interested, there's still space. Um, there is a maximum cap of 15, and the leader is Maria Peer. They'll be studying the Book of John, and they'll be meeting from September to May with a four-week break between December and January, and it's a, a great time of Bible study and fellowship and includes a personal study, small group discussion, lecture, and lesson notes. The young adult group is meeting today in the basement at 1.30. So this is for all of you that are college age, young adult, um, and just show up. We'd love to have you attend. Um, also, what? A Nerf war? Did you hear that? <laughs> There's going to be a Nerf war? Yeah. Oh, okay, so don't want to miss that. Anything else? No. Okay. <laughs> All right, um, and also I wanted to mention that there's going to be an online memorial service for the late Pastor Tim Keller, and that's going to be on August 15 at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time online. Um, so if you're interested, go to redeemer.com. Okay, um, and now I'd like to um, ask us to bow our heads and so we can receive today's offering. Um, if the ushers could come forward, that would be great. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, 
for your great love and your faithfulness. We thank you that all that we have and all that we are come from you. And we pray that we would give freely and generously and sacrificially, and that you would use this offering to further your kingdom, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Would you all rise for the benediction? Receive the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Great.
Amen. Peace be with you.